0: Proverbs 35 says, Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in Him. So today we'll talk about the Bible is God's word. It's God-breathed, inerrant, sufficient for the Christian life, and spiritually discerned. The purpose of this podcast, Doctrine for Doxology, is to know the truth about God, these these doctrines that are found in the Bible, and not just to know the truth about God, but to apply it to our lives. That's our doxology, our worship or praise of God. Now we've talked about how can we know God? That is through revelation. Certainly we use our own senses, our and our own logical, you know, rational thinking ability to think about God, but we can't start with those and reason up to knowing God. About God, God has to reveal himself to us, and that 's what we talked about last week god 's revelation to us. once we have that revelation, then we can certainly use uh, different our different thinking capacities as human beings um, to to know truth about God now. Throughout history, God has revealed himself to mankind in different ways. And I talked about this last week, too, through direct speech, um, visible manifestations like the pillar of fire that led the Israelites through the wilderness. Uh, he spoke to God, uh, or he, God spoke to Moses through a burning bush. So there were different, different ways that God revealed himself to mankind. Uh, ultimately, though, he revealed himself in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and so uh, that's that's how uh, God most perfectly revealed himself by taking on flesh. The second person of the Trinity uh, became incarnate and and showed us, taught us about God the Father. That's what Genesis, uh, excuse me, John one eighteen is talking about. So uh, listen to this now. now. Now, the only way we know any of that today in 2023 is through the Bible. So John Murray, a Christian theologian, he says this, Scripture is the only revelation of the mind and will of God available to us. This is what the finality of Scripture means to us. It is the only extant revelatory word of god. Now certainly this contradicts lots of other uh false religions who who have their their modern prophets that that clarify or correct what they say is the corrupted uh words in the bible and and they they bring about this this new truth or this truth that was lost in the past different things like that. But the bible is is God's word to us, and it's it's the only authority, the only extant revelatory word of God that we have today. And so, uh, today we'll talk about the Bible. Three main points: the Bible is God's word, the Bible is sufficient, and the Bible is spiritually discerned. So, the first one: the Bible is God's word. This it covers the doctrines of the inspiration of Scripture and also the inerrancy of Scripture in 2 Timothy three verses 14 through 17, Paul is writing to Timothy. Timothy would be a younger pastor. Paul's sort of his mentor, and so Paul is writing to him, and he says, "'But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus.'" All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The first thing that I want to talk about here, all Scripture is breathed out by God, or God breathed, or inspired by God. So there's a, a few different uh, ways that the, the English translates that, that phrase there. Now the Greek word is theopnoustos, theopneustas, and that is Paul is making up a word. He's putting together two Greek words, theos and pneuma, which is where we we get our word like like pneumonia. Um, so he's he's putting that word together. Pneuma means breath or wind or spirit, and so uh, uh, Paul here is putting those two words together, and that's where we get God breathed or inspired by God. Now, this is an extremely important concept. Scripture starts with God. It was God's intention before the world began, before He created the universe, it was God's intention to give us Scripture, to reveal Himself in Scripture. And and so God created Scripture, just like in Genesis 1-3, we're told that, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. Scripture starts with God. God is the one who has chosen to give us Scripture. He created the men that would write Scripture the way He wanted it written. Ultimately, again, you've got to understand that Scripture starts with God, and that's that's a vital issue because if you if scripture doesn't start with God and you realize that in God's providence it was his purpose to hand us scripture to reveal himself to us then you get stuck in a big trap of of man you know some sort of man-made organization telling you what scripture is and 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 then it's a mixed bag. There's you know all these different uh, supposed prophets or people that say they have authority from God will tell you what is and what is not scripture. Uh, but if you start with scripture comes from God, then God's the one who determines what scripture is. Now, also scripture as as being God breathed or inspired by God. That is, Scripture has the power and authority uh, that, that God spoke those exact words. And so just like, and God said, "'Let there be light.'" and there was light. Light jumped into existence. It it perfectly obeyed the Word of God. We are responsible to obey the God-breathed Scriptures, and so there is is authority and power behind the Word of God. Scriptures should be regarded as if God came off His heavenly throne down to earth and spoke these words directly to you. And so uh, Jesus had this, this type of view of Scripture. When, when Jewish leaders were at, you know, asking Him, posing all these different questions, uh, Jesus responded in, in Matthew twenty two thirty one. 31. This is a huge verse as far as how Jesus thought about Scripture. He says, and as for the resurrection of the dead, that's what the question was about, uh, the, the resurrection. Jesus says, and as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read... What was said or spoken to you by God? Have you not read what was spoken to you by God? See these prophets. You know Moses wrote the first five books of the Old Testament, and then prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, uh, Daniel. You know we uh, Solomon, David. All these people wrote the Old Testament, but how does Jesus? Uh, think about and refer to the Old Testament, it's not what those men wrote. It is, have you not read what was spoken to you by God? So again, scripture starts with God, and he used men to to write what he wanted written down. And more more on that in a little bit, but you just got to know that scripture starts with God. It is God-breathed. Now, when when we say that uh it is inspired scripture is inspired by god what we're what we're not meaning is that like if someone watches a movie or sees a sunset and then is inspired to write a song or write a poem or or something like that we say wow that that author was so inspired um and and it was something that inspired them that is not what we're saying about scripture the scripture is not inspired by god like like these men it's these men coming up with their own stuff and they just use god as their as their inspiration no we're saying even more we're saying more than that that it is the it is god's breath it is his words in scripture and so it's it's not it's not that isaiah was contemplating god and became inspired and just started writing no um, you know, in Isaiah and throughout the Old Testament, you have the prophets not saying their own stuff; they're saying, "Thus says the Lord, who brought you up out of Egypt." And then they, you know, pronounce what the Lord is saying. So, um, again, it is it is, scripture is God breathed. Also, when we say scripture is God breathed, God didn't look through the quarters of time and 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 see Moses what Moses wrote and John and Paul and said wow that's those are those are pretty good let me let me breathe into those and give those books those letters um you know this extra life and I'll sort of make that uh what I'm going to consider scripture no god knew what he wanted to give to us to re- how to reveal himself it all starts with god to take it a step further Every word in Scripture is inspired. Every word is God-breathed. Every word has a purpose. Um, and, And so let me give you one example of that. In Galatians 3, 16, Paul says this, Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, with an S at the end, being plural, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. So what Paul is doing here is he is he is taking the importance of a single letter in a single word that was written thousands of years before Paul and making a, and Paul is making a theological argument based off of the the importance of one single letter being left off offspring Instead of offsprings with an S at the end, I'm not sure how how good that S comes across over this microphone. That's why I keep saying that. So, uh, so Paul's whole argument rests on one word. Every word of God is important. That's what what Christians mean when they say uh, when they talk about the verbal. Inspiration of Scripture. Every word is is inspired. Of course, we have different uh, translations, and so this is this is why I, I really like English Bibles. That if the translators had to add a word just to make the sentence smooth, they have the word in italics. Or there's you know different different translations will do it different ways, but um, they'll they'll indicate that this word is not correlated to a word in the original language they they're just adding it in there just so that it reads smooth in the English language so anyway every word of god is important and so when we're studying the bible we study individual words yes absolutely we want to we want to interpret those individual words within the context of of how they're being used in scripture but it is okay and God-honoring and God-glorifying to get down into studying individual words from the Bible, because it is all the inspired Word of God. Now, that, that's the doctrine of the inspiration, God-breathing Scripture. Um, now, the, the next thing is the Bible is inerrant. Now, this follows, right? Because if the Bible is God-breathed, if, if it is inspired by God, then and, it, and if the Bible starts with God. Then, of course, the Bible is going to be inerrant; God is truthful, and therefore His word is truthful. Titus one verse two says, "In hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began proverbs thirty verse five is the verse I open this episode with. Every word of God proves true." He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. John 17:17 17, 17, Jesus is praying to God the Father and he says, "Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth." And so the 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 doctrine of biblical inerrancy, as far as why Christians believe that, it's it starts with because we believe that God is the one who authored the Bible, who gave us the Bible. And so because God does not make errors, then the Bible is inerrant as well. It it perfectly follows with who God is. Now, if you want a lot more information on biblical inerrancy, then the Chicago Statement on Biblical Inerrancy is a great resource that, that lays out uh, the specifics about the doctrine of biblical inerrancy. Um, and so so I'll just give you—this is a, a quote from that, but of course there's a lot more information there. So the, the Chicago Statement on Biblical Inerrancy, this is Article 13. It says, "...we affirm the propriety of using inerrancy as a theological term." With reference to the complete truthfulness of Scripture, we deny that it is proper to evaluate Scripture according to the standards of truth and error that are alien to its usage or purpose. We further deny that inerrancy is negated by biblical phenomena such as a lack of modern technical precision, irregularities of grammar or spelling. Observational descriptions of nature, the reporting of the falsehood. So, so observations of descriptions of nature, like the sun rises and sets, and and so a scientist may say, well, the Bible clearly hasn't has errors because actually the the sun's not rising and setting. the The Earth is revolving around the sun, and and that sort of thing. Um, so we're saying the Bible is simply making observations that a man would make about the sun. We still say, you know, sunrise and sunset today, uh, even though we know that, that we're, we're revolving around the sun um following uh, continuing on the reporting of falsehoods the use of hyperbole and rounded numbers the topical arrangement of material variant selections of material in parallel accounts or the use of free citations so uh, lots of lots of wordy stuff there but uh, another one that I'll bring up it says the use of hyperbole or and and round numbers um a use of hyperbole would would uh, a category of that would be Jesus talking about the mustard seed, and he says that you know the mustard seed is the smallest of the seeds, or whatever, and and so people will say, well, actually, you know, this some other seed is smaller than the mustard seed, and if Jesus is God, then shouldn't he know that, and and all these things. When we say that the Bible is inerrant, we mean that God is communicating truthfully to the listeners, and, and so when Jesus is is talking to the crowd there, he's using. Um, he's using things that they would be familiar with in in conveying truth to them and so he's jesus can can speak in hyperbole he jesus does speak in hyperbole a lot hyperbole would be like i was recently working on a little project here at the house and i spent a decent amount of time um, in my crawl space under my house, and so if I sit, was talking to someone, hey, what'd you do this weekend, or what'd you do Saturday? Oh man, I was under my house all day working on a project. Right? I wasn't actually under there all day, but I was under there the majority of the day. So I'm using hyperbole there, and so, um, so the Bible does things like this, and so you, it, it would be wrong to go to the Bible and try to find one of these little details like that and say, oh, look, you know, here's an error. Um, this happens in the Gospels, when people, when people look at the Gospels, and was it, the, was it a messenger? Was it a servant who came to Jesus and said, you know, the master's child is sick, and, or they're, they're dying and you need to be, please come heal them? Or was it the actual master himself who came to Jesus? You know, different things like that. And so um, as those authors are writing that account, Overall, the truth of the story is that this master, whether he came himself or he sent a servant to Jesus, they are pleading with Jesus to heal the, their child, and Jesus does. And so the the Bible is not in error in, in reporting things this way. Also, biblical inerrancy is not referring to how people interpret the Bible. Uh, the The Bible being inerrant does not mean that people cannot misuse it. And so, uh, in in a book called *Sola Scriptura*, um, the, this section is called the nature of the Bible's authority. They say this: the Scripture erroneously interpreted is no longer God's word, as Jesus' confrontation with Satan in the wilderness underlines. So, when when Satan used God's word, but he was using it the wrong way, and so that is that is not. Um, that, that does not have the authority and power of, of God's Word because it's being misused. Now, another question that you may ask as you're studying this passage in 2 Timothy, all Scripture is God-breathed, is that Paul is writing to Timothy, and so the, the New Testament obviously has not been completed. And so is Paul actually referring to the New Testament? Can we look at this verse and think that it applies to the New Testament, in in the context of the verse, it's most likely talking about the Old Testament. But today, when we look back at that statement, "All Scripture is God breathed," that means that anything that God has given us as Scripture is God breathed, and and as Christians, we certainly believe that God has given us the New Testament as part of Scripture. And so we, we take that phrase, all Scripture is God-breathed, we can apply that same principle to the New Testament as well. Now, some evidence that Paul and, and others writing the New Testament considered uh, the New Testament as Scripture and, and put it on that same level. Let me just go through some of these. In Second Peter, uh, Peter calls Paul's writing Scripture. So this is Second Peter 3, 15 and 16, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. So here in the first century. Peter is already letting us know that there are there are people who are twisting the Scriptures, and they're even twisting the letters of Paul, and Peter says, as they do the other Scriptures. And so uh, Peter is equating Paul's writings with Scripture. Now, Paul considered the gospel according to Luke. Scripture. In first Timothy five eighteen, Paul writes, For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Now the first phrase, you shall not muzzle an ox, that's from Deuteronomy twenty-five four. But the second one the laborer deserves his wages was right from the lips of Jesus and that is recorded in Luke 10:7. Now certainly there are Old Testament laws which which the general principle is that the laborer deserves his wages. But here in the Greek Paul is directly quoting word for word that the what Jesus said in Luke 10:7 it's it's a direct quote. And so Paul is quoting Luke as as scripture. Now, why would Paul be quoting a, the gospel according to Luke as scripture? Luke was a traveling companion of Paul. So Paul certainly would have been familiar with the gospel written by Luke. Luke sought out eyewitnesses to write the account of Luke and the, the and Luke Acts. He wrote both of those, Luke and Acts. Uh, you can think of that as as one long book written by Luke. If you read different parts of Acts uh, Luke will say something like, "And we traveled to so and so." He's he's accounting, you know, uh, he's recounting Paul's travels, and and then he'll say, "And we traveled here and there, whatever." So in some, sometimes in Acts, Luke is is with Paul, and he and he indicates that in the way that in in the language there, and so um, Paul quotes Luke's gospel as scripture. Now. Paul also considered his own writings as Scripture. In 1 Corinthians 14, 37, Paul writes, "...if anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord." Now, in the Old Testament, this phrase, "...thus says the Lord," um, things like that were were common language in the Old Testament— and so, you know, certainly God spoke to the people of Israel through the prophets, and and many times they said, "Thus says the Lord," and then they would they would give their prophecy. Hebrews one one and two says, "Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son." And so, in the Old Testament, you have phrases like, "Thus says the Lord." In the New Testament, we find out that Jesus is Lord. That's, that's what Jesus is referred to over and over and over again in the New Testament. Jesus is Lord. And so the New Testament gives us what Jesus taught. That Those are recorded for us in the Gospels. And then Jesus sent his apostles, uh, in, in, including Paul, out with the message to the world uh, to to proclaim the gospel message throughout the world. And so the rest of the New Testament is teaching us um, and explaining the Old Testament, basically, um, to to the rest of the world. And so Jesus did this on the road to Emmaus. He showed, starting with Moses and the prophets, he showed those two disciples on the road to Emmaus how to interpret the old testament. And so this is what Jesus sends the apostles out to do and and so we we have record of that in the New Testament. So that's why we consider the New Testament as scripture as well. It is a the New Testament is clearly clearly a continuation of the story of the Old Testament. When you finish the Old Testament, there's an expectation of the coming Messiah and in the New Testament when we see the Messiah come, death, burial, resurrection, and and he commissions the apostles, and then then Revelation tells us how it's all going to end. And so the New Testament completes the story that we're expecting to see completed from the Old Testament. Now, a few things about Scripture. I said all Scripture is God-breathed, and so we can apply that not just to the Old Testament, but to the New Testament as well. But you, a logical question from that is, well, what about these other groups that say there's more scripture? So I'm thinking about Mormons. They the, obviously the Book of Mormon they believe is scripture. They have the Doctrine and Covenants, the Pearl of Great Price. So they have some some other writings that they consider as scripture. Um, the Muslims have the Quran, which which when you read the Quran, here's what's interesting about the Quran. The Quran is challenging its readers to go back and basically see the truth of the Quran in the Bible. There, there is, there's, there's never. I mean, uh, Muslims will try to interpret certain passages in the Quran to to support their modern view of the Bible, but when when you read the quran it's it's challenge in a few places it challenges you to go back and consider the truth taught in the bible and to judge it now the the issue is that i mean muslims say that the quran was written in eternity but you know eternity passed by allah um but i you know i believe that muhammad is is Coming up with the Quran, and so as he's traveling around, he thinks that he is consistent with what the Bible is teaching, but he's not. A lot of the things that the 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 teachings about Jesus in the Quran are actually from um, Gnostic gospels, gospels that were written hundreds of years after Jesus, uh, with some kind of some wacky stories about Jesus that that are made up and so uh the the Quran is asking you to compare and and saying that it's consistent and so th- there's a great YouTube video on part of this called the quranic dilemma the quranic dilemma and it's by a guy named david wood and so he he gives all these verses and kind of lists out the the argument um for it it's very just fascinating but Anyway, so you have the Book of Mormon, uh, the Quran. You even have the Apocrypha, or Roman Catholics call it the Deuterocanonical books, which are in between the Old Testament and the New Testament. There's some extra books in there that they consider scripture that that Protestants do not. Um, Now, I've done an episode specifically on that earlier in this podcast. Um, If you look for, just look for the um, Apocrypha in the title, and um, and it'll be on that and why I. You know, I don't believe that those are Scripture, and that gives more of a historical argument. Uh, the easiest way to think about the Apocrypha—let's do the Apocrypha first, and then I'll talk about—well, uh, I've already talked about the Quran, So I'll do the Apocrypha right now, and then I'll also talk about the Book of Mormon and their other Scriptures in just a second. So the with the Roman Catholic Apocrypha, or the Deuterocanonical books, uh, the very simple— reason that I do not accept those as scripture is because Jesus does not accept those as scripture. Um Jesus we we know we know what the Jews considered scripture during the time of Jesus. We know it. And so the that was those books were not in there. They they were not laid up in the temple as Jewish scripture. And so that's to me that's the very simple explanation of why I do not not hold the apocryphal books as being scriptured. Now, there's certainly some doctrinal things that contradict the rest of the Old and New Testament, um, and there, there's lots of other reasons, but that's the very simple one. And then for the Book of Mormon and the other, the other LDS uh, scriptures, the Doctrine and Covenants and the Pearl of Great Price, there are... Historically, especially in the Pearl of Great Price, there's a book called The Book of Abraham, which just absolutely, without a doubt, proves that Joseph Smith was a false prophet. I mean, just incredible uh, proof that he is a false prophet. But So there's that. But also just the simple teachings and in some of the things in the Book of Mormon, um, especially Doctrine and Covenants and Pearl of Great Price, there's there's teachings in there that just contradict what we have before in the Old and New Testament. And so um, a, a prophet that leads you after a different God, that, that teaches you something contrary to what was given before, God cannot lie, and he does not change. And so... Um, the the only way to get around that for the Mormon is to say that well part of the scriptures have been corrupted um, over the you know translation process and different things like that they they can't hold to the inerrant word of God in, uh, in the Old and New Testament because it contradicts some of their teachings all right um, so in one of their articles of of the faith they say that. Uh, we believe- we believe the Bible to be the Word of God as far as it is translated correctly, and then right after that we say we believe the Book of Mormon to be the Word of God and and they don't they don't have the whole translation correctly thing after that, of course so um so that's that's how they try to get around it so when I say that all scripture. Is God breathed? That is just the Old and New Testament. The, the, uh, obviously I'm a Protestant in the Protestant Bible, and I've given just some brief reasons that I don't don't hold to the other ones. Now that is the the doctrine of biblical uh, the the inspiration of the Bible and biblical inerrancy, and then a kind of a rabbit trail that <laughs> that I got going down. The next part I want to talk about is the Bible is sufficient. So this is talking about the doctrine of Sola Scriptura. I've also done uh, you know lots of episodes on this in the series I did talking about Roman Catholicism. So if you go down through, through those, you'll it just look for Sola Scriptura. It's probably right in there with the Apocrypha and, and all of that stuff as well. So um, that's some resources. You can, you can go listen to that as well. But let me just talk about Sola Scriptura. John MacArthur says it this way in the book, entitled Sola Scriptura. So uh, several pastors and theologians kind of got together and wrote different chapters of this book, Sola Scriptura. So chapter five, John MacArthur wrote it. He says, quote, "...the Reformation principle of Sola Scriptura has to do with the sufficiency of Scripture as our supreme authority in all spiritual matters. Sola Scriptura means simp- uh, simply means that all truth necessary for our salvation and spiritual life is taught either explicitly or implicitly in Scripture. A few, a few paragraphs down, he says, Scripture is therefore the perfect and only standard of spiritual truth, revealing infallibly all that we must believe in order to be saved and all that we must do in order to glorify God. So when we say that scripture is sufficient, it is it, scripture is all we need to know how to be right with God and to glorify God, to live out an obedient life to God. It's it, that's all we need. Now, sola scriptura obviously does not mean that scripture contains all truth. Scripture does not tell us how to change oil in our car, or speak Chinese, or you know, or lots of other things, uh, but it is it is sufficient in the truth that we need to know how to be right with God, so our salvation and how to glorify God, our, our Christian life. People are constantly seeking other truth besides Scripture in new books, uh, lost books of Scripture. There's you know all these Discovery Channel specials about you know these uh, lost books, these these apocryphal books that were um, were kicked out of the you know the biblical canon. They they were they're supposed to be in there. They're just as good as the Gospel of John, but the you know the, these wicked men kicked out these books that should have been in there. Da Vinci Code type stuff. So people are always looking for these these hidden uh secret books or wondering oh what you know what about this book that is mentioned in the Bible that we don't have uh those types of things Again, Scripture starts with God. Scripture is God's revelation to us. So, therefore, God is in charge, and the books that He has given us and preserved for us are the ones that He wants us to have. And so, sure, Scripture can, can mention other books, but if God has not preserved them in history, then obviously he, he doesn't want us to have them. And so that's that's the way the Christian thinks about um, uh, you know, what Scripture is and, and why we have Scripture. Um, when when thinking about, you know, all these these lost books and things like that, uh, a verse that I mentioned in the first week of this Doctrine for Doxology uh, series, Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. And so, again, Scripture is sufficient. Now, um one other t- thing i want to make comments on here before jumping back into second timothy and and talking showing from the bible that that scripture is sufficient when we hear sola scriptura that may may make you think of the protestant reformation there's five solas that sort of came out of that and sola scriptura is is scripture alone and i've already talked about what that means now for roman catholics they have th- uh, what they call a three-legged stool of authority, okay? So they have scripture, they have tradition, and they have the magisterium. The magisterium is the teaching authority of the Roman Catholic Church. The, it's the pope and the bishops that teach in union with the pope. And so the the Catechism of the Catholic Church, um, number 85, says this, the task of giving an authentic interpretation of the Word of God whether in its written form or in the form of tradition has been entrusted to the living teaching office of the church alone so they they say that they have a three-legged stool in a three-legged stool if one leg is longer than the other or shorter than the others that that stool will fall over and so by say by calling it a three-legged stool they say that this is like a um th- these are all equally authoritative the problem is that you it cannot be that way because the magisterium the pope and the bishops teaching in union with the pope the the roman catholic magisterium they interpret scripture for you the the you know you are you are hopeless to interpret scripture for yourself you need the church to help you interpret scripture and the church can authoritatively tell you what scripture means. And so the the if you can inter, if the magisterium by claiming the authority to tell you what scripture means, they are an authority that is over scripture. If the church says it, then that is the authority. Even if you try to make an argument from scripture that the church is wrong, as a Roman Catholic, you cannot do that. The church is right. And so they are setting themselves as an authority over top of scripture. Now the other one is tradition. The magisterium, the Pope and the bishops' teaching in union with them, are the ones who know what tradition is and 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 tell the people what the traditions are. So they, these oral traditions, supposedly are things not found in Scripture that were passed down by the apostles to the to the Pope and and the and the teaching authorities of the Roman Catholic Church and these these oral traditions have been passed down and then we we get things like papal infallibility again i've done a lot of um spent a lot of time covering this in previous podcast uh, episodes but the the main problem is if the magisterium interprets scripture for you and tells you what tradition is they are setting themselves as an authority over top of scripture and that is wrong and so that that's why we say sola scriptura uh, James White one of my favorite apologists he's debated you know top Roman Catholic apologist and and he he says it's for Roman Catholics it's sola ecclesia the church alone is their ultimate authority now scripture is sufficient we do not need the Roman Catholic church or Joseph Smith uh the the founder of the the Latter-day Saint Mormon religion um uh, we or Muhammad we we do not need other people adding to Scripture or saying that it's been corrupted and here's truly what Scripture is. No, Scripture it can never be broken. It was, as Jude 3 says, it's once for all delivered to the saints. And so the truths about God are are there, and, and God doesn't let them pass away and then restore them through the prophet Joseph Smith. They They have always been there. God has preserved them for His people. Um so the scripture is sufficient. it is if we go back to second Timothy three sixteen and seventeen, it says that all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work so the first thing, first phrase here, it's profitable for teaching. This is the same word that's trans, translated doctrine in other parts of the Bible. Titus two one. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. The Greek word is didaskalia, and and that is uh, the same word here for teaching. So Scripture is profitable for knowing doctrine about God. Secondly, it's 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 profitable for reproof. A reproof is to convict of sin to rebuke to say that is wrong. And so that that is what a reproof is and scripture certainly does that. It 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 convicts us of sin. Next, scripture is it it corrects us. So it's profitable for correction. Um a a correction. So a reproof is to say you're wrong. A correction is here's what you need to do to make it right. And so this is I think about a pilot who is off course and you know ground control calls up and and says hey you've you've drifted off course set your bearing at this what this direction or whatever and get back on course and and so they they reprove for being off course hey you're this is wrong you're off course and then here's how you make it right here's how you get back so the bible certainly does that as well and so it, it, the Bible helps reform us in our thoughts. And then, lastly, for training in righteousness. Now, training there is a key word. It's paideia. and this this word in in when you think about training, this is not just like a one hour a week uh, type of thing. This is more like a lifestyle. This this would be a a worldview or a culture. So um, this word is used when when thinking about like uh, Spartan warriors. That they, they this was the paideia. That this is they were uh, the, these boys were trained from a young age. It was their way of life to be a Spartan warrior. Everything that they did in their daily activities was in training for that responsibility. And so, for training in righteousness, the the Bible does this. The Bible shapes our worldview. It it helps us in every uh, aspect of life. It, it trains us as we grow in righteousness. And so that's that's what the the Bible is for. Now, it's so it's it's profitable for teaching, re, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness, so that in or in order that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. So the man of God this this is a a phrase that that's kind of like, like an Old Testament way of saying uh what would be like a pastor. And so it's it's profitable for a the pastor to be complete and equipped for every good work, and so Timothy was a young pastor. Paul is is mentoring him, so this makes sense in the the context here. But this certainly does not just apply to pastors. If the if the Bible is sufficient um, to complete and equip for every good work, the man of God, well, it's certainly sufficient then for. Um, and I'm using uh, you know air quotes here, normal Christian. And so the the Bible is sufficient for all believers um to to um to know how to be right with God and and how to live obediently for God. This word complete is a, a other ways it's translated again I'm I'm using the ESV but it's it would be adequate, capable, competent, perfect or proficient. And then the word for equipped um it means to fit out to to outfit. So um, an example that I use is like if I was a first time golfer and I went to a golf pro shop and and I needed to be outfitted to play golf I mean that pro shop is going to have everything I need to fit me out to play golf i you know shoes and and pants or shorts and a golf shirt and hat and you know all the different the clubs and all all of the all the stuff that I need to play golf they can fully outfit me in the same way scripture is it 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 equips the man of God for every good work. It fits him out. It gives him everything he needs to accomplish every good work. And so, that's that again, this is how we, this is one of the verses that we use a a big time verse in our doctrine that scripture is sufficient for the Christian life. Sola scriptura. Now, the third and final point of the day is the Bible is spiritually discerned. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 11 through 13, Paul writes, "...for who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world," but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. This is this is a really important verse as we think about Scripture. Um, verse 12, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we might understand the things freely given us by God. I mean that that you know that is revelation there. God has given us revelation of himself. And how are we to know that? It is the spirit who is from God that that shows us so that we can understand the things freely given us by God. And so scripture is spiritually discerned. Verse 11 is talking about you like who is who is the best interpreter of a, a written document? Well, it would be the person who wrote that document I, i'm right now, I am reading a biography of alexander hamilton and and him and James Madison teamed up but even though Hamilton wrote the majority of them called the Federalist Papers and the Federalist papers are it's basically commentary on in interpreting the Constitution of the United States. And so as men who were in the room, who were in the debates of of what the Constitution should be, uh, they're explaining what they mean by certain sections of the Constitution. So that's a, a good reference to know kind of what some of the Founding Fathers were thinking about the Constitution. Now, there's a, another side. The Federalists were, were just one side of the argument, but at least it's from men who were in the room as they were debating these things so that's you know there's the, the one who is the best interpreter of a written document are is the one who actually wrote the document and paul here says no one comprehends the things of god except the spirit of god and so the the, the spirit has given us the, the word of god the, the the holy spirit is the author of scripture 2 Peter 1, 20-21 says, Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is the author of Scripture, and therefore the Holy Spirit is the perfect interpreter of Scripture. Again, Scripture starts with God. We, the the way we know the truths of scripture the way we know what scripture is the you know what books are scripture all of that it starts with god it is god's choice to reveal himself to us god is the one who preserves these books throughout history and we have thousands more manuscripts of the new testament than we do any other ancient writing and so god is is clearly be, behind preserving his word now God used men. Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Spirit. So when, when we think about the writing style of the Bible, uh, a question is who wrote Romans? And so you know you may be thinking, well, Paul, of course. But if you start thinking a little deeper about it, you're like, well, the Holy Spirit. You know. So which one is it? Is it Paul or the Holy Spirit? And the answer would be yes, <laughs> it's both. And so each each man that God used to write. To write the Bible, they have a unique style. You can read a letter from Paul and and recognize its style. It's different from what John writes, and, and you know, different from from other authors. So each man has its own, his own style. Also, there's there's research involved in writing this. Luke tells us he checked with eyewitnesses before writing his account, and so God is using men you know every day men in the course of human history are making everyday decisions to write down these words but but god has chosen to to use those men to write scripture the very words that he wanted to be written now back to this the the main verse i'm using for this the bible being spiritually discerned this first corinthians 2:11 through 13 passage in verse 13 and we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. If a a, non-believer reads the Bible and is not impressed with the Bible, does not consider it authoritative, does not consider it beautiful, does not consider it um, truthful in in any way, that should not rattle the Christian because— in the deepest sense the Bible is spiritually discerned it is the holy spirit working in the heart of the believer that that makes the bible um that that makes you want to be in god's word it wants you want to just know god's word in a better way because you ultimately want to know god you want to worship god that's the Holy Spirit working in your heart and showing you the truths of Scripture. So it shouldn't rattle the non-believer. Uh, excuse me, it shouldn't rattle the believer when the non-believer just doesn't see it. Um, certainly, we pray that that the Holy Spirit opens their eyes to see that, and we uh, we continue to to share the gospel with them. But it shouldn't rattle us if if they're not convinced by it. Again, the Bible is not appealing to to men to sort of vote on it being true and God's word the the Bible just straight up says it. it says you know God existed in the beginning God created the the heavens and the earth so uh it says God existed and the and also it speaks of its own authority as if everybody should know this it, and it holds men responsible for for rejecting it and so it is the Bible's um, authority and the the inerrancy, the the inspiration of the Bible. It's not uh, due to a to man's voting on it being authoritative. It it is authoritative, and man is responsible to to accept it that way. Because again, it is God revealing Himself to us one simple verse to uh, to get to get this concept. Jesus says in John 10:27, "My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me." So, those are the those are some of the doctrines about scripture, and so we certainly have to lay that out as we as we get into more specific doctrines in just 2 weeks. Now, next week is going to be sort of like a like Bible interpretation um, so you know why do people arrive at di- why do people come to the Bible and arrive at different conclusions and and some people certainly disagree on doctrine and and things like that so how do we how do we think about those issues as we investigate biblical doctrines and then and then we 'll get into the specifics so that 's what 's coming up next now in for the doxology closing you know so how how do we think about all of this? In in our worship of God, certainly when you see Scripture as being the inspired Word of God and being inerrant and being sufficient, that changes the way you—hopefully, it increases your love and appreciation for Scripture and and your thankfulness uh, that God is so gracious to give us His Word so that we can know Him— and so uh you know that's that's the doxology there and so I pray that as you uh as you worship God as you go about your day that that um if you haven't been reading God's word on a daily basis that that would start to happen um that should that should be um a natural thing for a Christian certainly we have distractions but but it should be uh just a basic that you are uh, even if it's just a few minutes you are in god's word on a routine basis and so i would encourage you to to do that if you're not already um, and so in in closing out a verse here it's psalm 19 7 through 14 now psalm 19 the whole uh chapter there is the the first part is about god being seen in creation the heavens declare the glory of god is is how it starts but the second part is about the revelation of god's Word. And so the, the the Word of God is sometimes called the law, the testimony of the Lord. There's, there's different ways to refer the precepts of the Lord. All of this is talking about the Word of God. And so this is Psalm 19, 7 through 14. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart.